0: Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. When Cheryl, an engineer by profession and also the blogger behind Bakes by Brown Sugar and contestant on Great American Bake Off Season 4, contacted me, it was the words she wrote about her mother, that made me set up an interview as quickly as possible. Several years after moving to Portland, Oregon in the 1940s, Cheryl's mother was a single parent of seven kids, a self-employed seamstress, raising Cheryl, the baby of the family, all while also helping raise her grandkids. Cheryl writes about her mother. Despite the poverty, mom always cooked amazing food with the simplest tools. I know her love was expressed in the food that she made and shared. I'm thrilled to welcome Cheryl to the podcast today and to share her mother's deceptively simple Kentucky butter cake. So good, it's worth burning your fingers to get that first syrup-soaked piece. So what will you do with your day off? Will you bake?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) I I, I took some eggs out this morning so they could come to room temperature.
0: Oh, good for you! Now that is spoken like a true baker.
1: <laughs> I've had so. some things that I've been wanting to to make a couple of cakes. I wanted to try. So
0: mm-hmm. mm. now, do you guys have a shortage out there of uh, any ingredients? We're still short on flour and yeast out here in the east.
1: Yeah, they're hard to to get in the grocery store, but the little mom and pop shops, or like the local stores. Mm. Yeah, I can get stuff from those. Okay. And so. I'm only telling a few people, like, hey, if you need flour, go to that store.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, it'll be our little secret.
1: (laughs) Yes.
0: Friend to friend to family. Funny. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Mine has started with the yeast. They just have a sign up now that says this is out at the manufacturer. Like, don't even talk to us about it. It's not our problem. Yep. (laughs) Which is what made your recipe that you gave me so perfect, because I don't think there could be a more simple cake.
1: Isn't it? Yeah. Like dumping everything into, into the bowl all at once. Cause I, when I, when I first read it, cause all the years my mom made it, I was never in the kitchen when she, she made it. Uh-huh. So when I finally found the recipe and it said, Oh, just put everything in the bowl. I called my mom up and I said, mom, is this, is this the right, is this how you made it? She said, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> how I made it. It's like, I've never made a cake like that before. It is so
0: <laughs> funny. You say that because I had to go back and reread the recipe Again and again, because I thought, it can't be this simple. I just dump it all in the bowl. (laughs) Okay, well, there must be something truly magical about that sauce then, which it was, by the way.
1: Oh my gosh, isn't it?
0: Yeah. (laughs) My husband took my older two on this very cold wet hike so they came back and were really cold and my 13 year old he had fallen and his elbow, everything right and they just stood there and ate by the time we went to bed 20 minutes later (laughs) like a third of the cake was gone and my 13 year old said I'm so happy for any kid who got to grow up eating this cake
1: (laughs) I love that I love that (laughs) and you're right it's that crust around the edge hmm. Yeah. I and I pulled my family because, you know, I, I was these are my memories. But then I pulled mm-hmm. my family, my sisters, my nieces and my nephews. I said, what memories do you guys have of this cake? And yeah, I was I, I, I was spot on. My um, my one my sister, my one sister and her daughter were both like, yeah, the, the top part, which is like basically becomes <laughs> the bottom part of the cake. Yeah, that was a right. piece of it. And my one sister said, yeah, when she was making that cake, you knew not to go far. that's so funny well
0: I guess my very first question is I had to completely reorient myself because I was so strong on this Kentucky butter cake I was picturing you in the rolling hills of Kentucky (laughs) you know wooden fences and farmland and that's not at all where you grew up
1: (laughs) no no Portland, Mm Oregon
0: okay so tell me a little bit about growing up it sounds like It sounds like growing up was all about cousins and siblings and a lot of family.
1: Yeah, so there were seven of us. Uh, My mom Mm. had, I had six older brothers and sisters, and there was a huge age gap between me and the rest of my siblings. My youngest sister is 13 years older than me.
0: Oh wow, that is a huge age gap. And how close are the first six?
1: They they are stair step really. They are when I was born, they ranged in age from 13 to 18, or maybe it's 12 to 18. Yeah, it had to be 12 to 18. Wow,
0: already so much respect to your mom. Okay, and then but you said so you were almost as close to some of your cousins.
1: It was actually my nieces and nephews. So like my oldest sister, her oldest daughter was just two years younger than me. Wow. Okay. And so really growing up with my nieces and nephews, they were, in terms of age range, it was more kind of like brothers and sisters, that type of age range, because I was born in 66. And that group of nieces and nephews that I grew up with, they were born between uh, 68 and
0: uh, 77. Wow. And did they, I mean, did you guys all live together in the same home? Or was it just like a come and go as you please situation?
1: It was a combination of come and go as you please. Over the years, my mom and I might be living with one of my sisters, you know, hey, there's this nice place, let's rent it out together. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was very much a come and go as you please. But also my mom, since she worked from home, she also helped my sisters out by providing daycare for them. You know, so my nieces and nephews were in the house all the time. One of my sisters, she worked a swing shift. So her daughter, we, we would often go to school together be together Mm -hmm. in the evening and then my sister would come and pick her up like around midnight or something like that. Wow. Wow. So I would be with that particular niece, you know, we'd be together all day.
0: Wow. Okay. So that sounds ideal for your sisters. Absolutely ideal for you and your uh, nieces and nephews. How about your mom? Was that hard on her?
1: Yeah, that was a, you know, I, you know, I tell people, my mom worked really hard you know, she, she had, um, a business, you know, she was a seamstress. So, you know, she could work from home, which, you know, from a childcare perspective, just for me even, um, made that gave her a more flexible schedule. Um, but it, you know, it was tough cause there, she wasn't making a whole lot of money. Um, but you know, just, and my sisters did help out, um, when they could, but yeah, she had some long days cause my mom would get up, I think at, like at 6am in the morning, and she didn't go to bed till after like those years where my sister was working the swing shift until you know she came and picked up my niece. So wow. you, you're looking at 6 a.m. to after midnight. That was my mom's day. Wow. And I remember when I was in college, I, I called her one day and she had a cold and I, we were chatting and she said that was the first time ever where she had been sick and she had been able to stay in bed.
0: Wow. And you were about... 19 or 20.
1: Yeah, it was about, yeah, 20, yeah.
0: Wow. I feel like I need to just pause yeah, for a minute <laughs> <laughs> and just show some serious respect for your mom before we yeah. move on.
1: It was a wild yeah. moment for me too, because I just, I had never thought about it like that. I mean, honestly, as a kid, if you had asked me, oh, how often was your mom sick? I would have like, oh, my mom was never sick. She probably right. was. She probably did have colds and she just- Of course she didn't show it. She didn't, you know, she didn't complain or anything like that.
0: Mm. Yeah. And this whole thing, as all of us are learning during the quarantine, this whole thing of working from home and you can Mm -hmm. do childcare, there is no such thing as multitasking, right? So if she's Uh -uh. doing childcare, that means she's stopping Mm -hmm. her job as a seamstress, which means she has to make up that time later, you know?
1: Well, I think it was a different time too, because, um, there were times, especially during the summer
0: Mm.
1: where we would just be outside. Yeah. You know, we, we had kind of a boundary of how far we could go, but we would just be outside. Um, there were um, plenty of summers where me and my nieces, we were all part of the tennis program at the local park. So we would hop on our bikes right to the park and you know, we'd be gone for, you know, well, I don't know, a couple hours. You know, absolutely. we kind of have that parameter. You leave for the, you know, you leave for the tennis lesson and you should be back home by nap then.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And then there were plenty of days where it was like, you need to get out of the house. Just absolutely. Just
0: <laughs> now, did she so um, did she do like tailoring? Did she do wedding dresses? What kind of or did she just take whatever came her way?
1: Well, she took a lot of what just came away. So she did a lot of tailoring stuff that people had already, um, you know, store-bought stuff. And she also made a lot of clothes, I guess, from scratch. She made all my clothes Wow. Um, growing up. And I once asked her, we somehow got into a conversation about this. And she said, well, if I hadn't made your clothes, I would have just had to buy stuff at Goodwill. Mm-hmm. That was, it was so easy to make them. And I have some pretty nice stuff. I did go through that whole childhood phase. Well, how come I can't have store-bought like everybody else, you know? But I soon came to appreciate the fact that I had really nice stuff.
0: Yeah, it was custom Mm -hmm. designed and fit for you. That's incredible.
1: So my mom had really good taste. So anytime she Mm -hmm. bought something for me or, like, she went out and bought a pattern, the fabric, and she made something for me, I loved it. However, we went to that phase where we could not shop together. (laughs) (laughs) We would... We would start out the trip and, you know, we would get into some type of argument at the fabric store and we would like go home and there'd be this stony silence. <laughs> stony silence. I love it. When we were not talking. You know, I was mad because she had, you know, we just got into this argument. I wanted a particular pattern or fabric and she was telling me, no, that's not, it's not good. It's not going to look good on you. And, you know, yeah, we just weren't talking to each other. However, like I said, if she went independently and she bought stuff for me, I like everything she bought for me. Right.
0: Yeah. And then, so how many people would she be cooking for on a day-to-day basis?
1: Oh, golly. It just depended who was around for some, you know, right. a lot of the evenings it was just um, me and her, but then there, if my nieces and nephews were around, so anywhere from just like two to like six or eight, it just, yeah, mm-hmm. really just mm-hmm. depended on, you know, what was going on. Yeah. The thing about your mom is
0: that It sounds like if someone got Mm -hmm. in a pinch and they were kind of in between jobs or in between places to stay or like life kind of threw them a curveball, it seems like they always kind of ended up back at your
1: mom's. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, there were. I went through this period of time where I was like, I was telling my mom, I was like, when, how come I like can't have my own bedroom? (laughs) (laughs) And what did she say? Um, You know, I don't think she responded. Yeah, it is what it is. Then I, um, when I was in high school. I went a whole year where I did have my own bedroom to myself. And I think I said something like, Hey, this is the first year I've had my, my own bedroom to myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I just remember always making room. Like there was a period of time where my, my brother and his wife and their two kids lived with us for a while. And, you know, all my sisters moved back home different times for different reasons, you know, at that age that I was when they moved back home, I wasn't always clued in on the, the reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I one thing I appreciate about my mom just growing up is that looking back now, I know that financially it was hard for her. There were a lot of struggles, love uncertainties, but she never put that off on me. I knew we were poor, but I wasn't, I wasn't in a panic or a constant state of tension because I was like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Or, you know, she didn't put that off on me. She dealt with it. And I
0: think one of the hardest things for kids just kind of being different, especially in the way that you present yourself, your clothing and stuff. And she really, she had that more than covered with her good yes, taste. Yes,
1: definitely. Definitely. If I needed a new dress for, you know, something at church or something at school, she she would make it.
0: Mm.
1: How about in terms
0: of helping out, um, like you didn't have to shoulder the worry or anything like that. How about helping out, you know, in the kitchen, around the house, um, watching some of those younger, younger ones. So the ones who were born more like 77, you know?
1: So this is where I will say, and my sisters would, would concur with this. I would say I was a little bit spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when my sisters used to say, I was like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. But yeah, looking back, I yeah, there was a little bit of that going on. I think it was, it wasn't until maybe about the seventh grade, I really started having chores around the house, like, you know, doing dishes. And this was primarily during the summer. Yeah. Um, okay. It wasn't during the school year. I think the expectation from her was that my focus was, you know, school.
0: Like you said, she would cook for anywhere between two and, you know, six or eight people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost everything was home cooked. Eating out was, golly, that was just a very rare thing. Yeah. That was like a once in a while thing. And funny, yeah. funny enough, if we did eat out, it was Chinese food. Oh, really? <laughs> yes.
0: I mean, something you couldn't make at home, right?
1: Yeah. Well, actually, that's funny. My mom learned to make really good fried rice. <laughs> really? I don't know where she learned it. All I know is when I came home to the smell, mm. it, it just tasted so good. Yep. And then she learned to make this really good sweet and sour pork mm. that kind of spoiled me. Okay. It was like, she, she did this flash fry the meat without the breading and then she put it in the sauce. And so you had that little bit of crispiness in the sauce. It was just, mm. it totally spoiled me for any other version because it wasn't mm. that thick, heavy breading.
0: Okay. Now, did she pass that recipe on to you? Do you have that one?
1: It's somewhere. I, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's somewhere. She um, She's an assistant living now. And so most of her books are here. And so I just got to figure out which book. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, how about you and her in the kitchen? Were you kind of there by her side? You said you did not make the cake with her. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, it was definitely more that she would cook and I would eat. And then almost from the beginning, I was more curious about baking. Hmm. Um she made really good chocolate chip cookies. and so I remember because I wanted to make chocolate chip cookies and I wanted to do it by myself. That's in air quotes. Um, <laughs> of course she's not gonna, you know she's not gonna put me I think I was seven or eight at the time and you know she was not gonna put me in the kitchen by myself. and so my mom had a certain way of doing things. and one thing she always did, she always sifted her flour. And when mm-hmm. she was teaching me how to do stuff like the cookies, like cakes, she insisted on the flowers being sifted and her version of sifting the flour initially was she would you know the um the screens that you put over your pans when you're frying something yeah, yeah, pro- uh-huh. that's how she that's how she would sift flour and she would yeah. take a spoon and she would just the flour back and forth and let me tell you that from a 8-year-old's perspective that takes forever yeah. Because, you know, those those openings on those screens are pretty are fun. Tiny. It's, yes. That, that took a while. And so wow. you're like an eight-year-old and you're like, oh my <laughs> gosh, this is like...
0: <laughs> like, forget this. I'm yeah. never coming back in the kitchen.
1: And then she was... We didn't have a mixer. So she mixed the chocolate chip cookie dough by hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she's, you know, she's showing me what to do. And my eight-year-old little arms, because at that mm-hmm. point, by the time you add the flour, that batter is pretty thick. Yeah, you know, that cookie uh-huh. dough is pretty thick. And so I think I did two turns and I was like, my my arms are tired. Mom. So she took over <laughs> and she's just like whipping that stuff. And I remember just thinking, my mom is the strongest person in the world. When I was stirring it, I'm like, this is hard. Mm-hmm. And like she takes over and she's just like whipping it. Mm. she's just like, like going. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh my gosh. She's like the strongest person in the world. (laughs) Mm.
0: That is a beautiful memory and a beautiful metaphor.
1: Yeah. It it is. I hadn't thought about like that before, but it is. Yeah. It is a good metaphor. Mm.
0: Yeah. She was just always there to help out and make things right.
1: (laughs) You know, looking back, um, you know, my mom had rules and things like that and discipline, but looking back when I asked to do stuff or try stuff, I just don't recall her saying no all that often. Yeah, you know, there's stuff we couldn't do because we couldn't afford it, or stuff that she didn't want me to do because she didn't feel it was safe. You know, like I asked to spend the night at a friend's house and she didn't know the parents, so she said no. Um, most of the time, she said yes. Yeah, she really empowered you. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she she gave me the opportunity to really experience stuff. I just feel so thankful to be
0: sitting here listening to these stories about <laughs> your mom, I'm actually looking out the window at my kids. And I'm just thinking, man, I, it's just such a great example for me. Mm. Oh, thank you for saying that. That's very sweet of you. I feel like it's people like your mom that really kind of deserve the praise and the glory in this world. <laughs> and it's mm, like often
1: yeah. misplaced, you know? Very true. Yeah. She, she made it work. With the resources she had, She she didn't. she made it work. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about having the stuff that you need, I I had what I needed to yeah. to get to where I needed to go. She she always encouraged me. We had a running joke you know, when I got, I don't know, maybe I was about 12 or 13. She started saying, okay, yeah, when you turn 18 and go off to college, it was kind (laughs) of like, yeah, when you turn 18 and you like get out the house. (laughs) But, you know, I think it was also, there was this message that it was a subtle message that said, oh, you're going to college. And so somewhere in in me that just took over, like, oh, I'm going to college. That's, that's That's what you do when you turn 18.
0: That's really interesting.
1: Even though she, she didn't go to college. Yeah, she didn't go to college. I think only one of my sisters had, had gone to college at that point and she hadn't finished. So it wasn't this, like this family tradition, like, Hey, you graduate, you go to, you go to college somewhere. She just, and I don't know what or why, but she just started planning that message. Yeah. 18, when you go, when you turn 18 and go to college, did she finance your college? Uh, well, she did in part. She, because um, I ended up going to school on the East Coast. So most of what I had was financial aid, student loans. And okay. she, in most cases, financed like the airplane ticket to travel back and forth to come home. And then, you know, sending me stuff that I needed. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but and also a place to live during the summer. So, yeah, it's in a way. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, none of that's yeah. cheap yeah. for
0: a seamstress nope. who's also still taking care of, you know. Yep. <laughs>
1: Hmm. I, I would say she financed my dreams. It would be a good way oh. to put it. Because in wow. high school, I was involved in, uh, you know, I played sports for a couple years. I was involved in these after school programs. And she would, you know, for stuff in the evening at the schools, you know, stuff at six o'clock, we would, um, she never, again, she didn't say, no, we can't go. She would just check the bus schedule because we didn't have a car. She would check the bus schedule, and make sure we got there, and
0: yeah. Wow, she financed my dreams. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm. So, baking was never part of the dream.
1: No, it wasn't. It later. was. Yeah, it was. It was. So, two things that I love. I did love to to cook. I was curious about cooking and baking and travel. Um, but it baking it was it wasn't what it is today. I guess that's the way to put it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of it came from just the same way I was curious about other countries. I was curious about food. Mm. Um, And so, you know, occasionally trying new things. And yeah, just so, yeah, more more along those lines.
0: Okay, I see. I see.
1: So tell me, when did baking
0: start to become such a big part of your life?
1: I would probably say one of the first cookbooks that I got on my was... Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of The Cake Bible by Rose Larry Berenbaum.
0: No, I haven't.
1: Okay, so it was a cookbook that came out in '88. Okay. And I had I, I like to make cakes, but up until that point I would always been struggling with them. Like I would make a cake, and sometimes it came out good, sometimes it didn't come out so good. And so I found this the cake bible in the bookstore and I started reading through it. And She explained the science behind making cakes. She explained why you get like dense, flat cakes and how all the ingredients work. And it was just like, I didn't know there was a science to this. This like is incredible. It's like this whole world of knowledge opened up to me. And so I think in my 20s, that's when it kind of really took off. Like once I started to understand Mm -hmm. how this works, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, this is like fascinating to me.
0: This is so interesting to me because one of the things that stood out to me on your bio is you said that you think there's a lot of similarities between baking and engineering. Yes, and I was like, hmm, I did. okay, I need to hear more about I that, did. but this is really starting to get into it. There's this there's the science behind it.
1: Yeah, so it was So for me as an engineer, just the whole math behind it. Like, oh, there's a math to this. There's like this formula that goes into making these cakes. And once you understand the formulas and the ratios, you can make a good cake anytime. Mm-hmm. Like once you understand your eggs have to be at room temperature and, you know, your flour should weigh this much. And to me, it just it simplified the whole process right, of making good cakes.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So when you said baking is like engineering, of course, I'm thinking like assembling a cake, you put in yeah. your dowels and things like yeah. that. But you're saying no, it's like gravity. There's yeah. facts about the way the world and ingredients and uh, chemicals work, and nothing's going to change that in baking exactly. or in engineering. Mm.
1: Yeah. It's, I don't know if you've ever heard of flour bakery. Mm-mm, nope. So it's this chain on the East Coast, the owner, founder is Joanna Chang, and she got her math degree from MIT. Really? Yes. And so now she has this huge bakery chain, which they make amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that just reinforces <laughs> my theory yeah. that, you know, engineers, mathematicians, chemists, yeah, we make we make really good bakers. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I think it's encouraging though, because sometimes it feels like it's a, such a shot in the dark, like, well, it might work this time or it might not. And so you're saying, no, it's totally knowable if it's yes. going to work or not.
1: Yes. And and I get why people can sometimes be intimidated because unlike say cooking a pot of stew, you know, you get to the end of the stew cooking and you taste and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Add a little more salt or add a little bit more of the seasoning or let it cook a little bit longer. Whereas once it goes into the oven, it's it's done dill. It is what it yeah. is. I, <laughs> I remember one time I um, I was making a cake. And so it's one of those cakes where you alternate the addition of the flour and the wet ingredients. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I scoop the cake into the bunt pan. I put it in the oven. I turned around and there's my bowl with a bunch of flour still left in it. At first I look at it and I'm trying to convince myself, oh, it's not that much flour. <laughs> and so then I go to measure and it's like, oh no, this is like, this is like a cup of flour right here. So, pretty significant portion. But one thing I did learn, and for your listeners, if you ever happen to do that, just let it bake because it, it won't be very edible, but it's much easier cleanup than trying to take raw batter out of a hot pan. <laughs> so, just let it cook through. <laughs> that's and really,
0: really funny.
1: <laughs> so that's that's my tip. If for some reason you forget an ingredient, just let it bake through and it'll be it'll be, it'll be much easier cleanup. <laughs> so um eventually
0: this baking journey kind of got you onto the great American Bake off, right?
1: Yes, it it did. Um, so yeah, I was on se- uh, season four I was <laughs> so I was watching season two. And I thought I can do that. And so I, I applied in 2017. I didn't make, I mean, I got all the way to where they invited me to audition in person, like bring my baked goods to audition and do the little mini interviews that they do, but I didn't get selected, but I did learn some stuff from that. What, what did you learn? I asked. So, okay. So, so one of the things I learned, you know, because it is TV, it's really a combination of your baking skills and how you connect with people, because yeah. well, and, I, and you know, being new to TV, I wasn't really, pay, you know, I wasn't really paying attention that part. So that's one of the things I learned. But also, so I was doing this uh, lemon rhubarb butt cake, okay. and I made the cake for family and friends. They're like, oh, this is really good. This is really good. And I kept practicing the cake, and the next two times I made the cake, it came out underdone on the top. So I'm leaving for red eye that night. I get up early that morning to start baking my stuff and I bake the cake again, it does the same thing. I can't figure out what's going on. I'm like in a panic right now because I'm like leaving that night. Like I have to be there at 10 o'clock at night. Oh my goodness. So I leave the
0: house. And you were bringing this cake or you were
1: going to bake it on the on the set? No. When you audition, they have you bring three baked goods. There's a whole panic of traveling with it because I was auditioning in Chicago yeah. with your baked goods and those arriving intact. and Yeah. You know, How just, do you even do that? You know, you just have to be very strategic. Fortunately, since it's such a short trip, you don't need a whole lot of clothes. Um, <laughs> so I had I had to carry on with because I brought some supplies, you know, just to kind of finish the cake in terms of putting a glaze on it. And then on my carry ons, I had I had my baked goods. So I had Danish pastries, I had the bread.
0: Oh, I cannot imagine. <laughs> oh yeah how to put a baked good into a suitcase i just i feel completely stressed by this
1: (laughs) you're just like you know like bubble wrap you know what you're just trying to like figure out how to wrap this and if you're so i finally figured out the mistake i've been making with the cake but i was so nervous i was still so nervous about this being underdone i just overbaked it a tad bit one thing i will say about everyone who's involved in that the production crew everything they are the nicest people in the world the culinary producers, I love that job title. By the way, yeah, they they t- they tasted and they say e- the the outside of your cake is a little tough. You know, they could have said burn. They could have said you know they could have said a whole host of words. They were really kind. They said the, the outside is a little tough, a little dry. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not even trying to pretend like I don't know what you're talking about. I I know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: and I explained to them what they what went wrong. So I get to the next part where they do this little mini interview with you on camera, and it, this is this is absolutely hilarious. We're maybe about ten fifteen minutes into this little mini interview, again really nice people. She leans over to the camera. She says, "Are we recording?" What? And so yes, the whole first fifteen minutes they hadn't been recording. <gasps> And so she's under the gun, like schedule wise. Uh, And so she said, okay, we're going to have to do a condensed version of this. And so she, she takes me through the questions again, but I always felt that they, my responses were as natural because in part, yes. I, was trying to remi- I, w- I was trying to remember what I'd said before yes. because when I responded before she say Oh, that's a good answer. That's good. Right. And so now I'm trying to think, okay, what did I say before? And so it just, right. yeah, to me, the it didn't feel as natural. Is gone. Yeah. And it didn't work out. But again, I think it was primarily my bake, but again, they were the nicest people. They made it a really nice experience. Wow. Um, and so then that that's the season you didn't make it. Yeah, I didn't make it. And so okay. then I, I I auditioned again next year. Um, and a friend of mine said, you should really emphasize the fact that you're an engineer, you know, and how that connects to baking. So, you know, kind of more of the personality, why I'm into baking, why I love baking, just the connection. I think I did a better job just on the audition piece of it, in terms of my baked goods, but then also just I guess for lack of a better word, just showing more of my personality and just being more relaxed about it. You know, it, it all worked out really well. I, you know, I was able to do season four. I met some great people. I often tell people, people ask me if it was stressful and I say, it was the most stressful fun I've ever had. It was stressful, but I would happily do it again. Mm -hmm. Um, The parts that I do regret are things where, there hadn't been so much self-doubt on my part, but just the whole experience in mm-hmm. working with the people I was working with, meeting the other bakers, just, mm-hmm. you know, even though I didn't do as well as I wanted to, I would just totally do that again.
0: Mm. And that is so interesting that you think so much of it comes down to self-doubt.
1: I think it did. You know, I was, I was talking to my husband after, you know, I, I had been eliminated and just, just looking back, I think I just, in in that moment when you're, you're baking and you're making the decisions, Mm -hmm. I think I just second guess myself too much. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. to me, it's really interesting because I had the recipes. Mm -hmm. I knew, I knew the recipes would work because I had practiced them at home. Yeah. So it wasn't like, I'm like doing this off the fly or anything like this, but you know, at home it's like, Oh, this tastes good. This is like, Mm -hmm. I think this is going to work. But then there it's like, okay, is it going to be good enough? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that is a good lesson. Just go in and trust the process. If it worked at
1: home, it's going to work there, right? Yes, exactly. I would Mm -hmm. definitely, definitely agree with that. I was watching an episode of the great British bake off and Mm -hmm. one of the bakers, you know, he's he's talking on camera. He decided at the moment to make a change Mm -hmm. to his recipe Mm -hmm. because he I think he thought it wasn't going the cake wasn't going to be a big enough and I'm like like yelling at the screen no don't make that change (laughs) don't don't do it did it work out for him it didn't yeah but I will say this the judges are really big on taste you get major points for taste Mm -hmm. yeah I've noticed that time and time again if it tastes
0: good that's all they really care about
1: yeah no I mean and they'll tell you oh it looks horrible but it tastes the cake episode we had to do a series of mini cakes and i just i was not a good manager of my time and so i was like rushing like to get everything put together yeah. and one of the other contestants had finished uh, chris had finished so he turned around and he helped me but it didn't look as good it didn't look as nice as you know like at home when i practice where sure. you know everything was just like all neat and pretty and that was one of the first things the judges remarked on when i brought it up was yeah it kind of looks like a hot mess here but <laughs> <laughs> but they were very, very complimentary on the flavors. They talked about how they could smell it. It smelled so good. It tasted great. Paul Hollywood said it was this fantastic ginger cake. You know, at the end when we did the kind of the wrap party, you know, the last episode, we did the party, you know, Sherry Yard said she wanted the recipe. So I was like, Wow! you know, I may have gotten eliminated early, but Sherry Yard asked for one of my recipes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you're you're on a knife's blade.
0: It can go one way or another, you know, and for every season, the winner was almost eliminated at some point. It almost seems like it's anybody's game. It's really tough. I, I, I admire your courage. I don't think, well, not I don't think. I wouldn't have that courage.
1: I wouldn't. Tina Zaccardi, who won season four, her first two bakes did not come at all like she wanted to. Yeah, but she, she was actually a guest on the podcast, yeah. and
0: she was saying that she had to like throw everything out and start all over.
1: No, and so based on that, I they ask you who you think you're, who's going to win, like kind of on the camera interview, and I was like, I said Tina. Interesting. She the way she recovered, like she had this cake recipe in her head memorized. Yeah. And that's she recovered like that. That's just like, okay, you're asking me who I think's going to win. I put my money on Tina.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because like you said, by the time you get in there, everybody's equally as good of a baker. And it really just comes down to, like you said, that Mm self-confidence. Yeah. And one thing she explained when I interviewed her is she had a ton of competition experience. Yes. Yeah. That is such a good lesson that we just doubt ourselves in the bigger moments, even though everything is the same about your abilities, your recipe. The science,
1: the chemistry. I was talking to another baker from season five and we just, we call it the tent factor. (laughs) When you're in that tent, time goes by faster (laughs) and things you never knew because one recipe took me longer for my recipe. I had to make buttercream and the tent was really hot. So it was a 89 degree day. You've got 10 ovens on and the butter had gotten too soft. And so as I'm mixing, the buttercream won't set up. And so I'm just, I keep adding butter, hoping this buttercream, like, finally I just stopped. And I finally realized, oh, my butter is too soft. Well, at home, I had never run into that experience. That was something that had never happened where my butter was too soft. Right. And so when I ran into that issue, I didn't recognize it for what it was. So I spent more time on just on this one component trying to make it work.
0: Hmm. Did your mom get to see you on the show?
1: So we filmed in August and it premiered in December. And so I had a bunch of family and friends over at, um, at our house. And then I went and I told my mom, I got everything set up for her. And then the next day I went to go visit with her and we talked about the the experience and everything.
0: She must've been so proud.
1: Yeah. She was, she was like, I can't, I can't believe you were on TV. I can't remember the exact (laughs) words, but there's this, there's this way she says stuff.
0: (laughs) So just to move away from the show for a moment, and I mentioned that I thought it was super interesting to read in your bio that you think there's so many similarities um, between engineering and baking. The other thing you mentioned that I thought was so interesting is that um, you say in your bio that the most important thing in your life, you know, you list like something like eight or 10 relationships, <laughs> and then you say that the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And on this podcast, a lot of people have talked about the relationship between, you know, religion and food and festivals and food. And um, to me, I actually feel that like food does, um, I do feel like it actually affects my relationship with God. Um, And I'm curious about you.
1: Um, So I think where I would Place that relationship is part of being a believer. I strongly believe that I'm not here for myself. I'm I'm here to benefit others. I'm here to bless others. Mm-hmm. So God gives to me. God puts um, things in me so that I can pour into others.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I think where food comes in is just being able to share that with others. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to cook for others, bake for others. And just share that with them and give that to them. Mm. That That's to me the, the connection, using that yeah. talent, using that talent, that, that passion I have for food to do things for other people through food.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you were talking about earlier about the stresses that your mom had, but that she didn't pass on to you, I was mm-hmm. really thinking like to me, that's very much like Jesus. The fact mm-hmm. that, you know, she would take that on herself. So you did not have to bear it you know?
1: Yeah. And I, and I think, I don't know how much that's a generational thing, you know, listening to her talk about my grandparents. um, I think there was just a thing that, Hey, you're the adult in the room. You're the parent in the room. Mm. Um, So, you know, you, you just, you take care of stuff. You just, you get it done. You handle it. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Do you feel like she spoke love to you through food?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. You know, she she never said the words, but I think just um, level of detail that the mm-hmm. effort she put into food, you know, she made some awesome food on a very <laughs> tight budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one of the things we had on a frequent basis was tuna noodle casserole. But when I think about how she she prepared the dish, there was just detail in that down to where she would when she do the final bake she would just slice the eggs on top and you know lay them out in a certain way and when she would make you know things like her pie crust oh my gosh the most amazing pie crust mm. um yeah i i i make pie crust <laughs> but I still have not been able to get anywhere near as good as my mom. Like my mom made pie crust, she used all shortening, mm-hmm. and she had the flakiest pie mm-hmm. crust ever. And when you read a lot of recipes or you watch shows and they talk about, oh, we're going to make the crust, make put it all together, pat it into a circle, refrigerate it for a half hour. My mom never refrigerated her pie crust. Hmm. I was trying to make a pie crust like her one time not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to do the way she did it, where she didn't refrigerate it. And I was struggling with that crust. Like, it kept falling apart on me. And my husband happened to be in the kitchen. I said, I'm going to have to refrigerate this. But I don't think my mom never refrigerated this. And my husband said, well, yeah, my mom never refrigerated her pie crust either. Hmm. And her pie crust was such that when she made chicken pot pie, she made it in a rectangular dish. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted the corner and side pieces. Because <laughs> oh. they wanted they wanted a maximum amount of crust.
0: That flake
1: The, you know, just the, the attention to detail, the the love she put into it. I just, you know, I make, I make an okay pie crust. My, you know, my pies are, my pies are good, but I have never been able to get a flaky crust like she does.
0: Yeah. And like you were talking about the eggs, it's just, there's a flair to it. She had an eye for beauty, you know, if she was that good of a seamstress
1: Mm -hmm. and uh,
0: yeah, she Mm -hmm.
1: did. Yeah. Oh yeah. She did. Yeah. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She made some really nice um, stuff. Yeah. I'm thinking back to this one dress she made for me for a Christmas program. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very beautiful dress.
0: I do. I feel very thankful to have heard so much about her. So so I want to wrap up by talking a little bit about this butter cake and just getting a little advice. So first of all, I think, I don't know if I asked you this before or just commented on it. Do
1: you know why it's called a Kentucky butter cake? I have no idea. When I was trying to recreate this recipe I actually looked it up online and it did it, it did pop up several times but the stuff I was seeing online the pictures didn't look anything like my mom's <laughs> so I mean just you know just be honest it's like well okay it's got the same name but that doesn't look like it has that same thick sugary crust on the bottom and it doesn't look as high as my mom's was and you know like mm, no that's not that's not it <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. So like we said, this is a super
0: easy dump and mix cake. It really is perfect for kids, actually.
1: Oh, yeah. So, that's very, yeah, that's very true. Yeah.
0: It calls for buttermilk. Uh-huh. Do you ever... I, I never buy buttermilk. I always just make my own. Do you buy... Do you think it matters?
1: Um, I don't think... I always buy it, but and the, there have been times where I didn't have buttermilk or I didn't have enough. So yeah, I just added lemon juice or vinegar to, to regular milk and let it okay. sit. Okay.
0: Okay. My batter tasted surprisingly like acidic and it was actually a little bit, I want to say not curdled, but a little bit granular, you know? And I was like, I wonder if I put in too much vinegar into my buttermilk this time, or okay. if I went a little, a little overboard on the rum, <laughs> which is also possible. <laughs> oh, or you know what? You know what I actually bet it was in retrospect. I hadn't, I hadn't brought the eggs up to room temperature. I bet you oh. that's actually what it was in retrospect. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay, that could be because I've learned that, yeah, cold eggs will the, – the cake is tough, yeah. for lack of a better word.
0: Yeah, mine was a little stodgy, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh. I mean, it was still really, really good. Like, you ate kind of around to the stodgy part, and it was like, <laughs> oh, one last bite. I might as well pop yeah. that in, you know? <laughs> it sounds like you're saying it was probably it came down to the eggs being cold.
1: Yeah, it could be. I, I learned that um, – you know, I had the cake Bible at this time, but I didn't believe the whole cold egg, room temperature egg until I had to make a, a two-layer banana cake for a friend's party. Uh-huh. And it was a 10-inch, it was a huge cake. It was a 10-inch cake. And so I had two uh, batches of cake batter, and the first one had room temperature eggs, uh-huh. and the second one had cold eggs. Uh-huh. And there was a huge difference in the two cakes. The first one was light and fluffy, had risen high, and then the second one was very compact, and to your point, stodgy, it was just like, I mean, it was edible, but it was just like, it was almost kind of tough.
0: That is really interesting. Yeah. Because I'm always like, remember when you first got on the call, you're like, yeah. I already have my eggs. Running. <laughs> and I thought that's a true baker because yeah. I'm always like, oh man, who thinks that about this stuff?
1: <laughs> so, so a quick trip, you, you know, yeah, I'm taking the eggs out, put the eggs in a bowl and, um, Pour in some warm water that goes about halfway up the sides of the the eggs. So the eggs are laying on their side and then just kind of roll the the eggs a little bit in the warm water to get both sides wet. And then just kind of let that sit
0: for a few minutes. That is such a good trick to know. I was actually thinking last night, I was thinking, you know, butter, you can always do a little something, you know, cut Mm -hmm. it into small pieces. You kind of, even your hands can warm it up. I was like, there's nothing I can do about these eggs. Oh, that's so good to know. Okay, thank you. No, I've you. done that
1: plenty. Of, I've done that plenty of times.
0: Okay, that is that is really good to know. Okay. So the other thing that was new for me in this recipe is I've never heard of making a release of flour and butter and painting it on the insides. Is that a common technique or is this the only cake you know of where you do that?
1: Um, I learned that um a couple years ago. We're just mixing. I have this um this French book, uh, uh, French pastry book. And in the beginning they have recipe for that. And then America's test kitchen. Yeah. They also have something similar and I tried it and it works like a charm. Every time we have one tablespoon of butter or even shortening, whatever you happen to have. Um, like if you're vegan, then you'd use like shortening, Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, one tablespoon of flour, mix that together. Yeah, and you just paint the inside of the pan. And I love it, especially for bunt pans because it makes mm-hmm. you – you're able to get into all those crevices. Because I can't tell you how many times where I go to flour, you know, I, I spread butter or shortening mm-hmm. on the inside of the pan. Then I go to flour it, and I've missed a spot. Yeah. You know, like the like that part of the pan is still, like, shiny. And so Mm -hmm. I love this cake release.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of fun also to paint,
1: like you said, paint every side and. No. Yeah. It comes out perfectly every single time, which I I love. And, and then a friend sent me a recipe where you can make a large, like a jar, a jar for this and just stick it in the refrigerator and then just uh, spoon it out. So I'm going to be doing that soon. And then you just, yeah, you stick it in the refrigerator and you always have it. That is so smart. Yeah.
0: All right. See, I learned yeah. something every single week, <laughs> <laughs> which so, is very well, cool. Yeah, it is very cool. It's very fun. Well, it was delicious at this point. Like I said, the, um, the younger two came back with my husband. We ate about a third of it. The little two were already in bed, but they each, <laughs> of course <you> got to <laughs> even things up. So they each yeah, had yeah. a generous slice for breakfast. <laughs> oh, hey, cake for breakfast. No, <laughs> no with that. When I go out there after this, we'll see what's left. <laughs> I definitely won't mind remaking it to photograph. That's for sure. Yeah. It's delicious. So um, so is there anything else that you would like to say about this cake or your mom or your anything?
1: One thing. So, you know, I kind of told you earlier that, you know, my mom was like, one of her rules was, like, you got to sit the flower, got to sit the flower. And uh, one of the ways I've gotten by that is I I weigh the ingredients. Like that's one of the other yeah. things I learned from the Cake Bible was weighing ingredients. But so probably a tip is yeah probably sift try sifting the flour because my mom that's that's what she always did, and I did oh, okay. I I didn't do it but she always sifted her flour that whatever may, she was making. Yeah,
0: yeah that may be part of the reason mine turned out a little stodgy Also awesome. Okay, well I thank you very very much for your time and just for sharing this recipe and really your mom's, your mom's faithfulness and kindness with us.
1: Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. This has been fun. Oh, I almost forgot. Tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, okay. So you can find my blog is bakes by brown sugar and it's at Mm bakesbybrownsugar.com. And I am on Instagram also at Sugar. And you can find me on Pinterest at Bakes by Brown Sugar. Perfect. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you, Becky. Have a good day. Okay. You too.
0: Thanks again to Cheryl of Bakes by Brown Sugar. Find all of the information about her blog and other social media. And of course, this Kentucky butter cake on the storied recipe website. As I mentioned last week, this is a critical month for the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please take a moment to subscribe, maybe listen to another episode, share a favorite episode with your friends and family or on social media, or finally leave a review. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Once again, you can always reach out to me at Becky at the storiedrecipe.com or on Instagram at the storied recipe underscore podcast. Thanks and have a great week, my friends.